Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. I'm Shanae Obumacare. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History title. Bang! Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods? Fickle butt. Oh, yeah. So easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. And we welcome you in to Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. My name is Greg Frank. You can find me and all of my gambling picks on Twitter at Undercover Greg. Joined, as always, by our co-host and producer, Alex Uplinger. He manages our podcast Twitter at Full underscore Slate underscore Pod. As we get ready to look at NFL Week 8, we record on a Wednesday night, but you listen to this on a Friday morning with the Thursday night game already in the books between the Carolina Panthers and the Atlanta Falcons. Alex, always good to have you back. How are we doing? Greg, I'm doing well. I'm excited for another week. I'm just not sure I'll ever recover from that Browns loss. Yeah, (laughs) that was pretty crazy anytime you lose on an extra point. But um, I don't know. That's, That's a tough way to try and... Put to come to terms with because, <laughs> gosh, what they had to go the whole field in a minute and a half or whatever just to get to that point. I know. I, I'd rather you just 
lose outright. Except I did have minus three, so a push is fine. But to lose minus three point five on a missed extra point after they drove down. I think you closed three and a half, right? Yeah, I had three earlier in the week, and I took it again because I got greedy and. Right. Joe Burrow backdoor again. Yeah, no, and we'll get to that later. He certainly uh, has been good at those second halves and putting up some numbers and keeping his teams in the games. Uh, So the Cincinnati Bengals uh, continue to cover numbers despite their uh, losses piling up there in the AFC North. You know, I do want to ask you, though, before we get more into the NFL Week 8 rotation, as we're going to be running through every side and total for Week 8. Alex, it's been a hotly discussed topic in the world of sports, and I know we talk uh, plenty of sports just between the two of us besides football. What did you make of the uh, World Series Game 6 and the controversial decision to pull Blake Snell? Yeah, that's tough. I understand the move. He and and don't get me don't let me forget I saw you tweet about the Bachelorette last night so were you really watching <laughs> that over the World Series? I had the World Series on the computer. I had nothing in the game, so I wasn't really Fair bad enough. into it. And my Nationals just won last year, so I don't really care. Don't really um, care. But Snell never can really get through the third time of the lineup, so I understand why they did the move. Right. But obviously, hindsight, it looks terrible. Right. No, for sure. And, you know, I'm all about having more information. I think it's good. I would have left him in. Obviously, you watched the way he was throwing last night, and it just didn't look like anybody was touching him in that Dodger lineup. Right. I think there needs to be a happy middle ground to analytics and just having a feel for the And that's the thing, because Twitter was just this big war, it felt like, of – you know, it kind of encapsulated what America is now, Dave, where we have these two schools of thought, nobody willing to make any concessions, and it was this huge old school versus new school debate last night on social media, and, you know, I I think that there's a lot of good that has come from the analytical revolution in baseball, uh, but it did kind of feel like just an automatic pilot type decision when you, and it was almost like they weren't even watching when you see how well Snell was pitching and having only thrown 73 pitches, and then you take him out of the game. Having said that, I find it one of the things that I've always found to be so polarizing about these calls is it's almost viewed as, like, acceptable if you fail with your best and had they left Snell in and say he gives up a two-run homer to Betts or something and it's 2-1 at the end of the inning anyway, it's almost looked at as, oh, you know, they went down swinging with their best guys, and it's, like, acceptable to fail that way. And that's the one thing I don't agree with the old-school people on. Like, it's never acceptable to have fewer runs than the other team and, and, and allow runs, you know? so Yeah, uh, but ultimately, you also, you're not winning a World Series game one nothing. So the offense... Right, exactly. The offense gets a complete series. free pass now, and the catcher allows a pass ball that brings the tying run in. Nobody talks about that. I don't like how the entire conversation around World that one decision dictated on that one decision. It was not won or lost by that decision. And the irony of all of this is the team that won, the L.A. Dodgers, how'd they do it? They bullpen the game, which is the most 
analytical thing you can do now. Right. And ultimately, <laughs> they they had the offense. Tampa just couldn't string together any runs. So a fun World Series. It was fun, though. I mean, gosh, that game four was crazy. and uh, Yeah, that was fun. I watched, I watched that. That was a lot of fun. But last year was – a little more fun, in my opinion. <laughs> well, yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> it did go to a seventh game, though, so there is that as well. Let's get to it, though, as we want to run through the NFL Week 8 rotation here and give our favorite sides and totals for the week. Uh, we're going to start. Uh, we're going in rotation order. We're going to start in the Motor City, number 252 in the rotation, the Detroit Lions hosting 251, the Indianapolis Colts. And... You know, when we look at this game, we're seeing Detroit at Bet Online uh, getting two and a half at home at even money. So it looks as if it might be trending towards three. A total of 50. And we have an Indianapolis team that has been absolutely dominant defensively coming out of a bye week. Uh, and the last time we saw Indianapolis, I mentioned that good defense, but Joe Burrow in Cincinnati, who we just talked about there, covered the number against the Colts and the offense for the Bengals was able to have some success against the Colts, and the Colts were only able to win because Phillip Rivers looked like the Phillip Rivers in his prime in San Diego with the Chargers. And so that data point in and of itself made me think, uh, you know, Indy's kind of getting away from its bread and butter here, which is, you know, really strong defense. Uh, and Burrow and the Cincy offense, early on especially, was able to move the football with a lot of success. But really, what I want to get to in this game, and we're going to have a little crossfire action right out of the gate because you like the Colts, but I'm on the Lions plus the short number. I grabbed them at three earlier in the week, and it sounds like it might get back to three, but I think that was a season turnaround win for Detroit last week against the Atlanta Falcons. The way they come back, obviously Todd Gurley scores when he shouldn't have, and give the Lions credit still. They take full advantage, and Matt Stafford goes down the field with no timeouts needing a touchdown. Uh, And so from the intangible side, I like the fact that Detroit gets that win, and it feels like, you know, that could be a big turning point for their season, at least I'm hoping, as somebody that has the Lions over six and a half wins and took them at eight to one to win the division. Then here's the big thing. The defense for Detroit has really gotten going in the right direction. Out of their bye week, that's now two straight games where they've been very good. 4.5 yards per play allowed against the Jacksonville Jaguars and 5.5 yards per play allowed against Atlanta. Those are pretty good metrics. And then you think about the rushing offenses against the Lions. Remember, the first couple weeks of the season, you could run for days on Detroit. The Bears in week one, 149 total rushing yards, 5.5 yards per carry. The, the Packers in week two, Aaron Jones goes bonkers, 168 rushing yards. Green Bay collectively, 259 on the ground, 7.4 yards per carry. But since the bye week, we've seen the Lions really get it together against the run, only allowing 44 rushing yards in week six against Jacksonville and 66 rushing yards allowed against Atlanta. So their defense really seems to be finding something. And we know that the offense for Detroit is talented and they can put up points there. Then we see Detroit this week go out and trade for Everson Griffin. And I know he won't be available due to the COVID protocols this week to play for the Lions, but I think that's a big vote of confidence 
in the guys you have there that they think they can do something this season. And we saw it last year with Minka Fitzpatrick getting traded to Pittsburgh. It just seemed to ignite the rest of the Steelers, and they got themselves all the way into December with a chance to still make the playoffs. Lastly, on Indianapolis, I mentioned the fact that Phillip Rivers looked really good against Cincinnati before the bye week. But we know that that is not sustainable, and Rivers at this age is a glorified game manager with a Hall of Fame resume and that cachet that kind of comes with. Three of six games this year, Indianapolis has gone under 100 total rushing yards, and they are 28th in the league in rushing yards per game. If they can't run it here, I'm very skeptical Phillip Rivers is going to turn in another 300-plus yard passing performance. And also on the Indy defense, for as good as they've been defensively, let's also remember the opponents. Week one, Jacksonville. Week two, Minnesota. Week three, the Jets. Week four, the Bears. Week five, the Browns. Not exactly offenses that strike a lot of fear into the opposing defense. I think this Detroit offense is the best offense that the Indy defense has faced. All of it makes me like Detroit plus three. If there's any defense that you can get right on the ground against, it's this line's defense. They give up 131.8 yards on average on the ground right, per game. But as I said, I think that's padded by their struggles early on. That's fair, but I do like this indie rushing attack, so I think this is a good spot to get right. I also like having the week off. I think Old Man Rivers, you know, heal up <laughs> a little, and it really gives them a full week to prepare and really gel with this offense, which we've seen them be a little shaky. So I think a, a full week to prepare and practice, I, I really like that. And you're right, the, the Colts haven't really played anyone that scares you on offense, but the defense still is quite strong. They rank second in passing yards allowed with 199.7 per game. And if anything, the lines do well, it's – it's in the air. So I think if they can limit the Detroit passing attack, then I think the Colts have a great, great opportunity to cover this number. I think they'll come out way more prepared with the week off. And I think the offense will look a lot stronger than they have. So opposite sides in the first game on the rotation, Alex on Indy, uh, you can get them at two and a half right now. Have you bet this game yet? Yeah, I got two and a half. And also it looks like, Trufant didn't practice today. That's one of Detroit's best corners. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Certainly, he's been dinged up a good chunk of the early part of the season for the Lions. Uh, so, certainly have to keep an eye on that uh, as we move along. I got three with Detroit uh, on Monday. Uh, as I said, really, I think the emotional side of things uh, making me like the Lions as well. Coming off that win, I just think there's got to be a lot of good vibes. With so I'll, take, in that I'll take the win, and you can take the push. Okay. <laughs> well, a push is better than a loss, as we just discussed, <laughs> with that extra point missed by the Browns. Let's move forward and stay in the NFC North, where we have one of the better rivalries in the National Football League uh, between the Minnesota Vikings traveling to Lambeau Field to take on the Green Bay Packers. Touchdown favorite here are the Packers, total of 51 and a half. And I have a pretty strong lean here towards Minnesota getting the seven points. You talked about Indy coming out of a bye. The same is true for the Vikings. 
And I think the situational spot really makes a lot of sense for the Vikings here, going to Lambeau Field, catching the touchdown. As I said, it's a division rivalry game, so I don't think we need to worry a lot about the Vikings. Yeah, they are 1-5, and five, but I don't think we have to worry a lot about them maybe not getting up for this game. Anytime the Vikings play the Packers, you know there's a lot of regional pride on the line, and, and you know it's a big rivalry. And, and, you know, that border battle in Minnesota and Wisconsin. So I think that's always a big deal. And here's the thing. The Vikings defense, uh, particularly in the games they've lost, uh, has not played well. And they have a lot of young players that are transitioning into bigger roles with the departures of a lot of key faces the last couple seasons on defense. But in week one, when these two teams met in Minneapolis, the Vikings defense gives up 43 points. Aaron Rodgers absolutely carves them up, but they only lose the game by nine. 43-34 was the final. So the Vikings defense really can't play any worse than it did in game in week one. And going back to my point about the Vikings being one and five, is there a game that matters more to the Vikings the rest of the season than this one? Knowing that it's probably a lost season anyway, you know, they've lost three straight games dating back to last year against the Packers now. You know, I think this is a pretty good opportunity for the Vikings to, you know, I think they're going into this game thinking, well, we might not, ha- this might be a lost season, but let's at least beat the Packers and be able to say we did that this year. So you also throw in Dalvin Cook, likely to be returning in the backfield for Minnesota. They were not able to run the ball much at all against Atlanta before their bye week. And then let's look when I say the situational spot really makes sense. Let's look at Green Bay. Green Bay coming off of a win. They just took care of business against Houston. And I know it's a rivalry game, but guess who's on deck on a short week for Green Bay? That's right. It would be the San Francisco 49ers next Thursday in a rematch of the NFC Championship game. And San Francisco looks to be finding its mojo again. So I think this is a little bit of a look-ahead element. Even though it's a rivalry game, I think Green Bay is probably saying, eh, you know, one in five Minnesota. Aaron Jones probably not going to go again for the Packers in this game. Kevin King, one of their corners, did not practice on Wednesday as we record on Wednesday night. And Justin Jefferson, the second receiver for the Vikings behind Adam Thielen, was not the player he was in week one that he is now. So I think the Vikings are going to be able to score enough points here to cover this number. Pretty strong lean here on Minnesota plus seven. I know you're a big Packers guy, so do you have any reason to talk me off that lean? I actually don't. This is the Vikings Super Bowl here. Like you said, Aaron Jones likely not to go. He didn't practice today. And this just looks like a great spot for Minnesota off the bye. I think a week for this defensive jail is a great thing. Like you said, they played in week one, so this defense had a lot of new faces, and they weren't clicking yet at all. And they still almost covered that seven points here. So, yeah, I think this would be – Minnesota pass for me. Well, and remember, too, Minnesota was a three, three-and-a-half-point favorite in that Week 1 game. So, obviously, a lot has changed since Week 1, and I'm not saying that Minnesota is the same team, but I think it's entirely possible that they show up here and prove to be the uh, Green Bay equal in this game, which makes the seven points that much more valuable. And you'd think that they just want to control the ground game, and then that would obviously lend well to the plus seven. Right. I mean, if they're getting with Cook back, Cook back, right, that would probably lend itself 
towards him having a nice game and getting back in the fold because you're right. While I mentioned Justin Jefferson uh, being much more you know advanced in his NFL career than obviously his first game, we saw in that game that the Vikings got into a shootout with Aaron Rodgers, and that's not something that probably serves them well. So uh, at the same time, though, I don't know that I want to go under the total here. Like this is a Green Bay offense that, save for that. Tampa Bay game has been firing on all cylinders. Um, I just think that, as I said, as we talked about, massive game from Minnesota emotionally, I would think they're going to pour everything into this, knowing that there's probably not a whole lot else that comes of it from this season. And, you know, I know they just traded Yannick Ngankwe, but again, I think that maybe that's something more the rest of the season you might look to fade with the loss of a pass rusher. I just think uh, most of the guys that are still around for the Vikings are probably sick of losing to the Packers. So, again, the seven makes a lot of sense here. Any final word on this game? No, I completely agree. Let's keep things moving and go to the AFC East, where we have another division rivalry in western New York, the Buffalo Bills, number 256 in the rotation, hosting the New England Patriots, and we're seeing Buffalo being installed as three-and-a-half-point chalk in this game, total of 42-and-a-half, worth noting that number, I believe, opened around 44, 44-and-a-half. Certainly understandable to see where that under money can come from when you see both of these offenses Really looked pretty inept the last few weeks. Obviously, Cam Newton looked like a shell of himself against San Francisco, throwing three interceptions. That New England offense is a ways away from even looking like an average NFL offense at this point. And then you have Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills, who, quite frankly, look like a totally different team, and that's not good given how they started. Buffalo you know, was 4-0, and and then they get their rear end kicked by Tennessee, and, and they lose a game to Kansas City that they, even though it was a one-score game, it didn't really feel like they had a great chance at winning that game. And then an extremely unimpressive victory for them against the New York Jets, a game that, for our interest, they really weren't that close in covering. I mean, the Jets had the lead 10-3 at one point in that game. So Buffalo, not really a team I want to lay more than a field goal with especially against a division opponent. But I don't want any part of New England right now either. Um, Unfortunately, one of my win totals was New England over nine and certainly starting to get a little concerned over that one. Not, I don't think it's over yet for New England. I wouldn't be shocked if they won this game and started to get things going again. Because remember, this is a team that was 2-1 and one after three games and very easily could have been 3-0 and oh if they win that week two game on the goal line in Seattle. Uh, But gosh, Alex, I don't want a piece of either one of these teams when it comes to the side. But I do think, obviously, the under money makes a lot of sense, given the fact that both of these offenses just have been struggling uh, big time the last few weeks. Yeah, I'm going to play the under. I got 42.5. These offenses are just woeful right now, especially the Patriots. There goes any Josh Allen MVP talk, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's... That ticket's burned, but thankfully I have Bills to win the division, which I'm pretty confident in. I think the Bills ultimately win this game, but I wouldn't be comfortable playing the side. Cam Newton has just been terrible. He's tied for second in the NFL with seven interceptions. Is there hope for him, or do we think he's just done? I honestly think he's done. If he's not injured, then he's just done. He has a rating of 71.7. 
There's only two quarterbacks in the league with a worst rating. Could you guess who those two are? Uh, like full-time starters? Because I was going to guess maybe yeah. Kyle Allen, but I don't know if he even counts. Uh, he was in the mix, but he actually he has a better rating. So he's a better but, rating. Okay, yeah. I will. So does say, Dwayne Haskins. Oh, Dwayne Haskins is one of them, or he has a better rating. <laughs> Sam Darnold. Yeah, that's one. Okay, and Gardner Minshew. No, but that's a good guess. It's Drew Locke of the Broncos. Okay, yeah, he's been hurt too. So, divisional game, I think they're always more competitive and more defensive. And I think New England, if they have any chance of keeping this close, they're going to have to run the ball. They rank fourth in the league in rushing yards per game at 155 yards per game. And the Bills give up 126.7 yards per game on the ground, which is 21st in the league. So, I think this just has to be a ground and pound if they even want to keep it close, which lends to the under. I just don't know if New England can put up nearly enough points for this to go over. I could see this being like 21-17 type of sure. game. Yeah, but yeah, that's why I'm ultimately going to play the under. Yeah, and I'm not going to fault you at all for that play. Um, I'll probably just stay far away from this game because of the fact that, yes, I, I do see what you're saying with you know the, the offenses, and I even said it myself, both of these offenses have looked anemic, uh, but, you know, early in the season, that wasn't the tune we were singing about Buffalo or even New England. I mean, even though New England's really never had the weapons, they put up 31 and Cam was matching Russell Wilson score for score five, six weeks ago. So I don't know what changed really. They just, and against the Raiders, they just ran the ball down their throats every play, it seemed like, and they ended up scoring in the 30s. So I just don't really have, I've just completely crashed on handicapping New England. Like, I'm going to stay away entirely. Yeah, but also their strongest unit on the team is their secondary, uh, sure. which which can combat the Bills' good passing attack. Right, right. And uh, here's a little trend to, that kept me off the Bills is that they're three and thirty straight up in the last thirty three games against New England. I've heard this. This is, yeah. this is their yeah. first time being favorites since two thousand three. And you do Patriots. wonder if that gets in their heads a little bit here, you know, especially Think, right? if Winston maybe little gets brother complex. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I, I certainly wouldn't want any part of this side. I think we can both agree there. Yeah. Let's keep things moving and go to the AFC North where we have the Cincinnati Bengals hosting the Tennessee Titans. Cincinnati is a six-point home dog, total of 54 in this game. Uh, Alex, I lean to the Tennessee side. My concern is, and I know we were both on Seattle last week, and that was a tough one as well. My concern is with these bad defenses giving more than a field goal on the road. Because, you know, obviously you think about it, teams and offenses are going to play better at home, and we saw Cincinnati's offense perform very well against Cleveland last week. And Tennessee's defense has not been good. Let's just call it how it is. Pittsburgh got out early in that game, and you know Tennessee made a run back because the Titans started main, making some plays offensively. But this Tennessee defense, you know, back in week two, Jacksonville shredded them. This Tennessee defense has not been good, and so if you can't get stops, 
And that means that back door is always open. And we've seen Joe Burrow and the Bengals have a lot of success against the number. Cincinnati comes into this game at 5-2 and two against the spread. So that's something to keep an eye on. Doesn't look like Joe Mixon is going to play again. Um, Gio Bernard did catch a touchdown late in the game for Cincinnati. I would lean still to Tennessee because I think this is a nice uh, bounce back opportunity for them uh, where you wouldn't expect the game flow to be as negative as it was in the first half against Pittsburgh last week, meaning they should be able to pound Derrick Henry more. And obviously we've seen Ryan Tannehill be able to put up some numbers himself. So it's an offense that I should you know, expect to score in the 30s here. Ultimately, what might keep me off this side is, as I said, the concerns for the Tennessee defense uh, and keeping that back door open for Burrow. But I lean Tennessee, and I know you like the Titans as well. The Titans are going to cover very comfortably. Comfortably? Very. Okay. The Bengals' rush defense is one of the worst in the league. They're 28th in yards allowed per game at 133. And Derrick Henry should have a field day, which will lend to the passing game, the play-action game. And Tannehill's been very solid, 15 touchdowns to two interceptions. And the Titans also just finish drives. They score. They score on 80% of drives inside the opponent's 20. And then in comparison, the Bengals are only scoring at 50% in the red zone. Also, Burrow is the second highest-sacked quarterback at 28 times. I just think the Titans have way too much on offense. I don't think the Bengals will be able to keep up. William Jackson, their best corner, was limited today with the concussion, so who knows if he can play. And concussions can be weird. Sometimes, like, you think limited on Wednesday, he should be able to get there by Sunday, but sometimes that can not be, like, a linear progression in that. Right, exactly. They have to see how you go the next day after being a little limited. I just don't think that the Bengals can ultimately keep up. I think Tennessee will get a couple stops. They look great in the second half. They limited the Steelers to only three points after giving up 24 in the first half. So I think the Titans' offense will just be too much to handle, and their defense will get at least a stop or two to to keep this comfortable, and they'll they'll win by double digits. Yeah, and I lean to Tennessee, and this might be one of those where you know we talked about it before we hopped on. It's a lean all week, and then you get there on Sunday morning, and it's like 11.30 or whatever, and it's like, yeah, you know, I'm going to play it. That's kind of <laughs> how I feel about this type yeah. of stuff. It starts to look a little a little more inviting come Sunday. Exactly. Let's keep things moving. We're going to stay in the state of Ohio and go to Northeast Ohio, where the Cleveland Browns, number 260 in the rotation, host the Las Vegas Raiders. Cleveland is 2.5-point home chalk, total of 51.5. This is another number that I picked off uh, earlier in the week, and I'm on the Raiders here plus the three. Alex, you asked me a trivia question not that long ago. Uh, I'm going to tell you this. The Browns are one of three teams in the National Football League that is over 500 with a negative point differential. Can you guess the other two? I would be very confident in saying the Bears are one. The Bears are one? Ah, feels like uh, I was going to say Seattle, but they're five and one. They play a lot of close games. I don't think it's them. It's an AFC team. I'll give you one guess. Okay. 
Could it be the Ravens after getting blown out by the Chiefs? It would be none other than the team that circles the wagons better than uh, anybody else, the Buffalo Bills. That makes sense. They they played a lot of close wins, and then they got blown out, blown by, out by Tennessee. The Chiefs and Tennessee, yep. You know, and, and we talked about not wanting a we talked about not wanting a piece of Buffalo earlier. We'll get to the Bears a little bit later, but uh, just to further that statistic a little bit more, the Bears' point differential is minus two. The Bills' point differential is minus four. The Browns are a minus twenty-one point differential, and obviously that's because there's not one but two blowouts in there for Cleveland against Baltimore and Pittsburgh in the AFC North. I'm not saying that the Raiders are on the level of the Raiders or the, of the Ravens or the Steelers, but what I am saying is that this Cleveland team is not as good as its record. At 5-2, and two, look at who they've beaten. Cincinnati twice, Washington, Indianapolis, and Dallas. The only team in there that you can say is decent is Indy. And remember in that game, I think you and I were both on that under and Phillip Rivers gifted the Colts, I believe, a, a gifted the Browns, I believe, a safety and a touchdown in that game, uh, and it ended up, you know, making all the difference in the world. Baker Mayfield, this has been another thing that has been touted this week, uh, various talk shows and on social media. His numbers against the Browns, he's the number one overall pick. I'm sorry, against the Bengals, who they played last week, he's the number one overall pick when he plays the Bengals, and against everybody else, he's just a game manager, Okay. And the Raiders are getting Damon Arnett and Jonathan Abram back in their secondary. And the Browns, of course, just lost Odell Beckham Jr. So I think that eliminates any kind of big playability that we're going to see from the Browns. And to be honest, I think this is right back to the same old game managing Baker Mayfield. And while the Raiders, as I said, they're not the Ravens or the Steelers. I'm not calling for a blowout here. I am calling for the Raiders to win this game because – they should not have a problem scoring points on this Browns defense. Okay, the Raiders scored 20 against the Bucks, and 20 might not sound great, but against the Bucks, it's pretty good because that defense has been lights out for Tampa Bay. And let me also remind you that that was a 24-20 game early in the fourth quarter between the Raiders and Bucks before it got out of hand, and the Bucks ended up winning 45-20. So for three quarters, they were competitive with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That tells me something. And now they're going from facing arguably one of the best defenses in the league to a mediocre Browns defense. As we said, Joe Burrow had his way with that Cleveland defense, and ultimately the Cincy defense just couldn't come up with any stops against Baker Mayfield and company in that second half. And Derek Carr, not exactly a quarterback you'd think of in the elites, and I'm not saying he is, but he's averaging 288 passing yards per game this year. The offensive line should be better with, you would think, the disjointed COVID stuff that they dealt with last week. That should be behind them. Trent Brown might even get back in this game. I think the Raiders, quite honestly, I might say that they're even a little bit better than the Browns. If not, it's close, and I really want to take the three points. But I think the Raiders are going to win this game outright. As I said, no Odell. Baker, more of a game manager against the Raiders offense, might not have the big names, but I think they can put up enough points to win this game. Let's call it 27-20. Derek Carr has been awesome so far yeah. this season. 13 touchdowns and two interceptions. He's 
third in the NFL in rating? It's no-brainer, Alex, right now. If you could choose one of the quarterbacks in this game, you're taking Carr. Absolutely. He's looked so much better. He he doesn't turn the ball over like in past years. And, yeah, Mayfield just seems to be a game manager, which we've discussed several times. I saw a couple talking heads this week saying that he's a better quarterback without Odell because he doesn't have to. Yeah, I've heard that too. I think that's a reach. You lose one of the better receivers in the NFL. I don't see how you prove that wrong. Getting some guys back in the secondary. Like, where are the plays coming for Cleveland vertically? Yeah, I don't know. They'll they'll probably try to run the ball down their throat, control the game, and try to keep it close. But right, so he's coming right back to his game manager, and he's a three point favorite. No, thank you. No, I'm I'm with you. I would I would take the Raiders here. So let's move forward and go to Kansas City, where we have the point spread game of the year. The Kansas City Chiefs are a 19-and-a-half-point favorite against the New York Jets. Total of 49 in this game. Le'Veon Bell revenge game. Maybe we want to play his props in any time touchdown, something like that. <laughs> Other than that, Alex, I can't think of a whole lot I want to do with this game. No, this is this is really gross. I hope this is on... The last TV at the bar, the one in the corner that barely works and you can barely see. <laughs> I think the only thing I would look here is to check the Jets team total and play that under. I was a little <laughs> hesitant last week on the Bills just because Darna was back, and he makes that team at least competitive. And that was without Jamison Crowder, who's arguably their only I'm weapon. Really like a solid receiver, too. Yeah, he's arguably their best weapon they have. Yeah, I can't I can't get there and that that says a lot when you can't get there at a team getting 19 points. If I said you had to play this side, would you rather take with the Jets or lay with the Chiefs? I would lay the points with the Chiefs. I lay think the they'll points. Wow. Yeah, I think they'll easily be able to put up put up some numbers. We saw the Bills were knocking on the door the entire game and they could only muster 18 points. They had to settle for six field goals. So if one of those field goals is turning a touchdown, they cover the game. Yeah, there was a crazy stat going around that the Bills like didn't score a touchdown but also didn't punt. <laughs> That's hard to believe. I had a teaser with the Bills minus eight and a half, and we know that didn't get there at eighteen to ten. So just just needed one of those field goals to go the other way and we would have been there. Yeah, I guess the thing that would concern me, and again, I'm not on this game at all. But other than Le'Veon Bell facing his old team, like what's what's the motivation at all for Kansas City to run this up? Just to show that they're the class of the AFC. I mean, the Jets, they give up 29 points per game on the season. You would think the Chiefs could could limp out there and Maybe score Maybe it's like a 31-7. Yeah, I mean, I feel like they could easily put up 35 with giving half the effort. I just don't think the Jets can even remotely stop them. And I guess maybe to answer my own question, the motivation for Kansas City would be just to look a little better offensively because they really didn't need to do much last week against Denver because they got a defensive touchdown and a special teams touchdown. And Edward Lair ran one in early in the game. And Patrick Mahomes, a very un-Mahomesian line, 15 for 23 with 200 yards and one score. So... 
you know. Right, in the snow. So right, that's got to zap a little motivation. You're sitting there freezing on the sideline the whole game. So maybe Mahomes and the boys are just ready to unleash a few big plays, and obviously that would make it easier to cover a big number. But um, Put on a show for the home crowd as well. Right. Yeah, exactly, because they got fans there in Kansas City. Let's get to one more game before we hit our commercial break. We have the debut of Tua Tagovailoa down in Miami. Well, the starting debut, because he got a few snaps there against the Jets before the Dolphins bye week. Number 264 in the rotation, the Miami Dolphins hosting 263, the L.A. Rams. Rams are three-and-a-half-point road chalk, total of 46 in this one. And, Alex, I said to you before we hopped on that if I had to play this side, I would take the Rams just blindly fading the rookie quarterback making his first start against a Rams defense that has been pretty good. We saw them, everybody did on Monday Night Football, really play well. Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald, you know, the big names have been performing for the Rams on that side of the football. And I think, I know that there was a lot of trepidation about the Rams, and I faded them against San Francisco in week, I guess that would have been week six, because they had only beaten the NFC East. And I know that that was just the Bears, but at a certain point, we got to start giving the Rams credit. And that's why I would lean that way. I think they're probably a playoff team. I'm not sure they're ready. I'm ready to call them a Super Bowl contender. Um, but I think in this spot, I mean, you have to look. I would look to the Rams just off of the sole fact that, you know, it is a defense that is playing pretty well. Going against a rookie quarterback It's probably always a worthwhile investment. Uh, the one thing that's keeping me off of it is just this spot a little bit concerning for me. The Rams going back to the East Coast. Remember, I mentioned they've already played the NFC East, and they had to go to Buffalo, and now they're going to Miami. And they're on a short week having played Monday Night Football, and you do have the Dolphins coming off of a bye. And it's not that it made a lot of sense. I thought it was a little perplexing going to Tua now. But if you are going to do it, you do do it after a bye week where you have the rookie. He gets more time to kind of get acclimated. So the spot is a little concerning given my lean to the Rams. And that's why it's just a lean. And this is probably one of those leans that I won't get there with come Sunday. I don't know about you. It's a lean for me as well. Everything in this spot tells you to pick the Dolphins, which is why I'll probably take the Rams. Just a little zig when others are zagging. Putting the rookie up against this Rams pass rush, they rank fifth in the NFL, averaging 3.4 sacks per game. That's a tough ask. I know coming off a bye, but I just think this pass rush can really disrupt the rookie's timing. And like we were saying, the spot points to only taking the points with the Dolphins. But this line is just kind of weird. Four points. Feels a little low. I feel like they're just begging me to take the Rams – or the Dolphins, sorry, which is the same spot as last week when I felt like the books were begging us to take Chicago with the six. So I went right. – Rams minus six, and that got there easily. Yeah, no, I, I would lean to the Rams as well. Uh, just a little concerned about the off a bye Dolphins against the short week Rams. So uh, see if I can get there come Sunday. But uh, agreement, it seems, on the L.A. Rams for a side. Let's take a break, and we'll come back with the rest of the week eight rotation in a few minutes. Even though sports had a break, your business did not. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. 
Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people and fast. Unlike other job sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the most important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is the best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's Blue Wire, all one word. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And we're back here on Full Slate, a Blue Wire gambling podcast. My name is Greg Frank. You can find me and all of my gambling picks on Twitter at Undercover Greg. Our co host and producer is Alex Uplinger. Find him managing our podcast Twitter at full underscore slate underscore pod. Also give him a follow on his personal Twitter at Alex underscore up seven. As we move along here with the NFL week eight rotation, uh, we did about half the games already. Now let's get into the rest of the games. One more early one o'clock Eastern kickoff, and unfortunately, it's an early kickoff because it is the game of the week, and it is the Pittsburgh Steelers traveling to the Baltimore Ravens in, I mentioned Minnesota and Green Bay as one of the best rivalries in the NFL. It, but it probably doesn't get better than Pittsburgh and Baltimore, especially when you have both teams uh, in contention like we do here. Pittsburgh is three-and-a-half-point road underdogs, total of 46-and-a-half in this game. And I'll be honest, Alex, I texted you this on Monday or maybe even Sunday night when this number opened. Opened five-and-a-half, and I said, Pittsburgh is going to be the most public underdog maybe of the season, and I'm not surprised at all to see this number now down close to a field goal. Um, and I'm hoping this gets to three because I like the Ravens, and here's why. I'm a big Believer of the Steelers season long, I have them to win the division at plus 375, but in this particular spot, I like the Ravens. Who's talking about Baltimore right now as a Super Bowl contender? The last time we saw the Ravens was two weeks ago in Philadelphia, and they were struggling to hang on by the skin of their teeth against the Eagles, okay? And 
against the Washington football team even. And that was a Ravens team that barely covered the number, and depending on what number you got, you might have lost that game. So it's a Ravens team that, quite honestly, has been largely unimpressive relative to the rest of the contenders around the league. I mean, they've kind of just been doing what they need to do to get by in these games. Um, and their one loss to Kansas City, they got absolutely whitewashed. And I think that's the game that stands out in a lot of people's minds right now. And that's why we're hearing people talk about Kansas City and Pittsburgh and Tennessee and Tampa Bay and Green Bay as the Super Bowl contenders. Nobody's saying anything about the Ravens. I think that's a good message for John Harbaugh and his heading into this game is that it's a big opportunity for them to remind everybody that they deserve a seat at the table in terms of the NFL's elite. Then we look at John Harbaugh. Obviously, he's been there in Baltimore for quite a while. Nine and three against the spread, last 12 games off a bye. And the Ravens' defense is arguably just as good as Pittsburgh's, especially now that they just added Yannick Ngonkwe coming over from the Minnesota Vikings. And he can play in this game because he got traded to them during the Ravens' bye week. So he'll be good to go and ready to devour Ben Roethlisberger. Pittsburgh has problems in the secondary. A.J. Brown and Travis Fulgham, a couple of receivers that have recently had big games against the Steelers. I think this is a nice spot for Hollywood Brown to have one of his better games of the season. And remember, Tennessee was playing from behind most of the game, so the Titans couldn't really exploit the injury to Devin Bush, the key middle linebacker for Pittsburgh, and get Derrick Henry going, I'm sure, the way they would have liked. I expect Baltimore to have more success on the ground than Tennessee, even without Mark Ingram. Maybe a little bit of a J.K. Dobbins coming out party. Gus Edwards has been running well. I think the Ravens are going to do what the Ravens do, and they're, they're going to be able to play with the lead, and Ben Roethlisberger and that Pittsburgh offense is going to be kept under wraps most of the game. I think Baltimore wins this game by double digits. Let's call it 31-17. to 17. Ravens win. Ravens cover with ease. I know you're not going to like that, though. Yeah, I don't like that at all. But I just think this is the best rivalry in football. No doubt. Since 1999, each team has 23 wins against each other. And in those games, the Steelers are averaging 19.5 points per game, and the Ravens are averaging 20.3 points per game. So this couldn't be closer. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that is definitely, it's a shame that they can't put this in Sunday Night Football and get the Eagles and Vikings, or Eagles and Cowboys out of there, but, you know, it is what it is. I, I, I'm going to let you go now and tell me why you like the Steelers. Well, like you're saying, how hasn't this been flexed? They flexed the Raiders out of primetime because of COVID concerns, so giving them less time to prepare, right. but they can't <laughs> flex that woeful game out. I don't understand the, the reasoning behind that. But, yeah, I'm I'm riding with the Steelers. I think they're going to win this game outright. Teams at home are only hitting at 45% against the spread coming off a of bye. And the Ravens, they have the first-ranked rush offense, but the Steelers have the second-ranked rush defense. Devin Bush, that's a huge loss, but they seem to be able to overcome that last week. I think they can ultimately put up enough points on offense. I don't quite trust the Ravens' defense here. Even though they are one of the best giving up points per game, they only give up 17.3 points per game. And the Steelers only give up 19.7 points per game. 
So I really like the under, but I think the Steelers can win this in a close game. I think they'll be able to run the ball pretty well. I think they'll be able to throw. I, I really like their offense this season, although a couple injuries to keep an eye on. Juju Smith-Schuster and Deontay Johnson both didn't practice today. And then on the offensive line, DeCastro and Pouncey both didn't practice as well. Yeah, and I can tell you as a Juju fantasy guy, he's been regularly not practicing on Wednesdays. I don't know if that's just a load management thing, but I wouldn't be too worried about him. Deontay Johnson, it does seem like, suffered another injury against Tennessee, so his availability might be more in question. Yeah, I think that might be a more rest spot for Juju. He's He's a veteran enough now that he can he can go the week and still still come Sunday play. But yeah, I, I like the Steelers here. I think this is a good spot. Ravens off a bye, granted, but I just like the Steelers to come in there and show why they're uh, the class of the AFC. Granted, they haven't played the toughest competition, but you can only play who's on your schedule, and and you play them, and they've beat every single team, so. I like them to do that again this week. Marlon Humphrey didn't practice. Jimmy Smith was limited. That's two of their best corners. Yeah, true. If one of if one of the two can't go, even if they can go, a little shaken up maybe. I, I like this passing attack. I, I think they can. I think they can exploit this Ravens secondary. A lot of divisional matchups on the card this week as we're going to move from the AFC North to the AFC West, where we have the Los Angeles Chargers as field goal chalk uh, against the Denver Broncos at the Mile High City, a total of 44 in this one. And I'm going to start here and go with the divisional home underdog. Give me the Broncos plus the field goal. So let me understand this. Justin Herbert is like the talk of the NFL right now, right? He looks great. I'm not taking anything away from him. He's all of a sudden now a pretty hefty gambling favorite to be the offensive rookie of the year. So, a couple weeks ago, you know, before their bye week, he loses to Tampa Bay in a game that the Chargers were dominating in the first half and let get away in the second half. And then he loses on Monday Night Football against the New Orleans Saints in another game that they were dominating in the first half and let get away in the second half. Then they have the bye week, and then they beat the Jacksonville Jaguars, Jaguars, who, oh, by the way, they were down 29-22 against in the middle of the third quarter. They come back to win 39-29, not that I'm bitter as a Jags better in that game, as they can't even cover the eight for me (laughs) with a seven-point lead in the middle of the third quarter. All of that is to say, though, a couple of games that the Chargers lost in which Herbert looked good, so people are fawning over him, and then he tears up the Jags defense, who everybody's been tearing up, and we're ready to install him as short-road chalk in a divisional game, I am not so sure about that. And as I said, they lost two of those games, and they probably should have at least not covered against the Jags. And the Jags were, as I said, very much in that game. Now, let's look at Bron- let's look at the Broncos. Talked a little bit about it with the Chiefs, where that score is misleading. They lose 43-16, to but the Chiefs scored on defense and on special teams. It was a 10-6 game at the end of the first quarter, and it becomes 24-9 at halftime because the Chiefs had that defensive and special teams touchdown in the second quarter. Denver outgains them 40, I'm sorry, 411 to 286. And again, the only reason that that score is as lopsided as it is 
is because the Kansas City Chiefs win the turnover battle 4-1. to one. And if you're like me and you believe that turnovers are pretty random and going to even out over time, then any team that loses a turnover battle by three in one week, you're probably going to look to back the following week just expecting blindly they're not going to lose a turnover battle as substantially as they did the week prior. So that in and of itself makes me like Denver. And oh, by the way, it's the Melvin Gordon revenge game. This is his first game against the Chargers since signing with Denver. Philip Lindsay did not practice on Wednesday with a concussion. I'd be surprised if he was able to get out of the protocol in time to play. Give me a big Melvin Gordon game. Probably look to play his over rushing yards or his anytime touchdown prop. And I think the Broncos are alive to win this game. Justin Herbert coming back to earth a little bit on the road in the Mile High City. I think that Denver defense will find itself, as I said, only allow 286 yards against the Chiefs. I know the Chiefs didn't have to do a lot, but uh, give me the Broncos here uh, in a spot where, listen, the Broncos have to have this game at 2-4. and four. Uh, If they're going to make anything of their season, they need this game. Uh, give me the Broncos plus three. Yeah, this certainly feels like a bit of an overreaction. Nothing official for me, but I was also looking at the Broncos. I like taking the points at home, especially in Denver with the altitude. Herbert making his debut in Denver. That's a tough spot. That's a tough place to play. And the Broncos' defense has been pretty solid. Like you were saying, 14 points for the Chiefs came from not the offense, so you can't put that on the Broncos' defense. This feels like a good spot at home, getting the points. I would I would take the three as well. Always good to have agreement as we do there on the Denver Broncos as a live home underdog against the Los Angeles Chargers. Let's move forward and go to the Windy City where we have the New Orleans Saints traveling to the Chicago Bears. New Orleans, four-point favorites on the highway. Total of 43.5. Speaking of concussions, Allen Robinson in the concussion protocol for Chicago. Uh, if he can't go, then an even, uh, you know, a, a, uh, an offensively challenged team becomes offensively inept, let's say. Uh, but I don't know that I'm running to back the Saints here as greater than field goal chalk on the road. New Orleans. They're kind of just doing enough to win games, but never really looking impressive in the process. Teddy Two Gloves and company get another cover last week against the Saints as the Saints are able to hang on and win that game by three points. They let the Lions back into a game earlier this year. Ultimately, New Orleans hangs on and wins by six. They get behind. I mentioned that game against the Los Angeles Chargers. They get behind against them and have to come back and win the game in overtime. Just not a team that I'm thrilled about giving more than a field goal with on the road. Not running to back the the Bears here. And, you know, I don't know that I... I mean, 43.5 seems like a pretty low total for the NFL in 2020. Having said that, I mean, we saw the Bears offense on Monday night with Allen Robinson. Now on a short week, potentially without him. You know, maybe I look under, but I think I'm going to stay away from this game. This feels like the perfect spot to back the Browns and just root for that defense. But I'm you not running to the, the Bears. Sorry, yeah, but I'm not. I'm not running to the window here. 
no Allen Robinson is really worrisome with how bad this offense has looked even with him. So that's tough. But the status of Michael Thomas, that's a concern. Doesn't look good for him with the ankle and the hamstring now. So I'm really torn on this. I kind of like the under, but also that is a really low number, and we've seen unders getting crushed in the NFL. It's really tough to hope a game goes under 43 points. I just don't have faith in that Bears offense at all, but this feels I like a great spot. if you like the under, the better move is to just play the New Orleans team total under. Yeah, I could see that because I'm, I'm rooting for the Bears defense in this spot. But that's what I'm saying. Look, yeah. Yeah, I just – I don't love only four points, but it is a home game. I feel like the Bears come to play at home. I just can't trust Matt Nagy at all. Yeah. Are you like, with me on New Orleans, though? It's like kind of an – what are they, five and two or five and, like, three, whatever they are, like, kind of unimpressive what they've been doing lately, or four and two, I think they are, because they had their bye week already. Yeah, they don't instill confidence at all, which is weird to say because they are winning games. They just don't seem to cover. I'm really not convinced on Breeze. I think he's a little washed. But they do find ways to win. And with a spread of only four, you'd think if they win the game, it's probably going to be around that number, especially with how inept the Bears' offense is. I I can't really back either of these teams. I would look the under, but it just feels too low. I'm going to pass ultimately. A couple more divisional games to talk about now is we're going to go up to the Pacific Northwest where we have the Seattle Seahawks, number 270, in the rotation hosting 269, the San Francisco 49ers. Seattle is a three-point home favorite, total of 54 in this game. That's more like it when it comes to totals in 2020, although, of course, we have seen the Seattle totals, it seems like, on a regular basis, very high. And that's what happens when you have Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf, and Tyler Lockett on one offense, and you don't have much to talk about on defense. It's kind of been the story of the Seahawks so far this year. Gosh, I want to say they're probably, they've had their bye week 4-1 and one to the under, or 4-2 and two to the under, 5-1 and one to the under, or to the over, excuse me. They've certainly been a team that has been, uh, despite the high totals, finding ways to go over them. And you have a San Francisco offense that has certainly looked better uh, against the Rams on Sunday Night Football a couple weeks ago. Uh, they looked to be getting things in order, and then the run game for San Francisco really looked good in New England, uh, whether that was more about New England or San Francisco. Jeff Wilson had a nice day, and then Jamichael Hasty got in there and ran the ball pretty well as well. But obviously worth noting, this is a banged-up San Francisco offense, so I don't know that I love the over here when you're talking about no Jeff Wilson and still still no Raheem Mostert. Doesn't look like Tevin Coleman is going to play, so you know who's the ball carrier here? Of course, you could argue doesn't matter given the San Francisco offensive line and just how effective they've been running the ball in general the last year and a half. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo obviously is back, but now he's not going to have Debo Samuel. So Brandon Ayuk, the rookie, is now thrusted into that number one receiver role for San Francisco, and we saw the San Francisco offense without Debo Samuel early in the season, particularly in that week one game against Arizona, they didn't look great other than that big, long touchdown that Raheem Mostert scored. So, you know, San Francisco probably was fortunate. They played the New York teams as well at MetLife Stadium. So they were kind of able to get away with 
a lack of offensive playmakers. It's not going to be the case here against Seattle. Um, so I'd probably lean to the Seattle side. Uh, but, hey, I have all the respect in the world for Kyle Shanahan, and he looks to be going – have that team going close to the way they were last year, which is a very dangerous team to fade. So I'll probably stay away here. Slight lean to the home chalk, though. Seattle is 4-2 and two to the over, despite these high totals. 4-2, and two. okay, yeah. Yeah, I knew the Dolphins game because I had the over there, and I think it was 54-and-a-half, and I lost by the hook. And it was yeah, it went, it went under by .5. Yep. <laughs> it, was, it was right there. It should have That's the one over. Seahawks over I've actually taken this year. <laughs> <laughs> of course, the one that doesn't – one of the two that doesn't win. I'm going to be back in Seattle. I think this is a perfect spot to bounce back. Devastating loss, but you have San Francisco coming up off a dominant win, one in which they traveled east, so they're coming back, and then they have to go on the road again. Granted, not far travel to Seattle, but that's a tough place to play, even without fans. I just love Russell Wilson. I'm going to trust him to bounce back, and I think they're going to be able to easily outscore San Francisco, especially with no Debo Samuels. I think that's a huge loss. I really like Ayuk as a rookie, but him in the number one role, that's a lot different than coming out of the slot. You get a lot of the better coverage. I think Seattle's going to be able to score here at will. And I'm just going to go with Russ. Let Russ cook, and I think they'll be able to do well against this defense. And, yeah, I like I like Seattle to win in cover. So Seattle minus the points, a play for Alex. Let's go across coasts from the West Coast, across the country, I should say. Back to the city of brotherly love where the Philadelphia Eagles uh, are laying seven and a half at home against the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, at least if bet online, you can bet this game. Some books might not have this game on the board, given the uncertainty about Andy Dalton in the league's concussion protocol. Uh, low total in this game, which maybe is an indicator, uh, although that Dallas offense, even with Dalton, hasn't looked good. Total of just 43 here. You know, and... As we look at Andy Dalton's status, he did not practice on Wednesday. So if he can't go, you're looking at Ben DiNucci, the uh, James Madison University quarterback from a year ago, and the third-string guy for Dallas drawing into the lineup. Dallas is 0-7 against the spread, I believe. they got to be the only team that hasn't covered now, right, Alex? Now that the Jets did? Yeah, they are. 0-7. It's hard to imagine a team going 0-8 against the spread, and we'll see you getting 7.5. That's going to be tough to go 0-8, but it wouldn't surprise me at all. Before we hopped on, I think if you want to play the Eagles, I'm not opposed to laying the points here because I do think, you know, Philadelphia is getting healthier. Jalen Rager practiced this week already. He has been on their IR for most of the season after playing in the season opener against Washington. Dallas Goddard might be back for the Eagles as well. So getting some more help for Carson Wentz, it looks like. And Carson Wentz has actually been playing really well the last few weeks anyway. So I think certainly some encouraging signs for Philly as far as its skill players. Obviously the offensive line has been a whole other story for the Eagles as far as its personnel. But despite that, uh, Jeff Stoutland, the Eagles offensive line coach, has done a nice job of making the most out of what he has. And that has allowed Carson Wentz to have some good games the last few weeks. 
So I think that Philly offense uh, starting to get some players back. We don't know if these guys are going to play or not yet, uh, but you would think if the offense for Philadelphia looks the way it has the last few weeks where, you know, even against the Giants, most of the game they didn't play well, but they came back to win that game 22-21. They scored in the upper 20s against Baltimore and against Pittsburgh. Then that makes me lean towards the Eagles minus the points. But I think the better play, if you like the Eagles, uh, you know, is to use them in a teaser leg. And I'm not doing it, but I'm just suggesting that as as a move here. Generally speaking, when you want to tease favorites, you want to look for favorites in that seven, eight range and get them down to one or two. That way you go through the two key numbers of seven and three, you know, and vice versa. When you want to tease underdogs, you want to look for the short underdogs of two or three and get them up towards eight or nine. Uh, so I think that the Eagles probably win this game, uh, but at the same time, and they have extra time to prepare having played on Thursday night last week. At the same time, it is still a two win Eagles team and you're asking a lot for them to cover seven and a half lean to the Eagles might end up finding a teaser where I use the Eagles in, but I certainly, even though I agree, it'd be hard to find a team that goes, Oh, and eight ATS. Uh, no, thank you on Dallas. Even with Andy Dalton, he has not looked good and uh, doesn't look like an NFL quarterback period. So uh, I will not be backing the Dallas Cowboys anytime soon. <laughs> no, you can't, especially if it's a third-string quarterback. Although this is a this is a big JMU household. My my girlfriend went to JMU. I had a bunch of friends go to JMU, so we're big Ben Denucci right? fans here. Yep, yeah. So JMU is in a little hour and a half away from us. So ton of friends from there. This is a Ben Denucci household. I'll be <laughs> excited to see what he can do, but I agree. This feels like a great teaser leg. I actually think this would be a good spot. Tease the Eagles with the Broncos at home. You can get the Broncos up to nine, and then the Eagles down to 1.5. I think that's sure. a good look. Yeah, actually, I, that sounds good now that you say that. <laughs> I might end up laying the points with the Eagles. They're getting healthy. Dallas Goddard practicing, Miles Sanders practicing. Jason Peters practicing. Regular might be back as well. That'd be a huge, huge weapon to to stretch the field. I don't really like laying this many points, but if I'm going to do it, it's definitely against a third string quarterback making his first start. Yeah, you know, let's talk a little more about that. Like, do you think this is a Danucci number, or is there some hope that Dalton might play? No, this is absolutely a. Danucci number. That's why it's off the board at a lot of shops. I think they're waiting to see. They probably would lower this down. I do wonder if Dalton can clear the protocol where this number comes. But even with Dalton, you can't. You can't. I'm not saying I want Dallas, but no, 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 no. I know you're not saying that. I'm saying quickly for the number. Like, you think that hook at least goes away? Because that might make me like the Eagles more if I'm laying this number with them. Yeah, but how much is Dalton ultimately worth? I can see this still being. 6.5, 6.5, even if Dalton yeah. wasn't yeah. in the end. I'm just saying, like, okay, you're going through a key number, though, so that's not an insignificant move. No, it's not, but I'm saying, concussion aside, if this was just Dalton against the Eagles after we saw how poorly they performed against Washington, yeah. Yeah. 
What do you think this is? I think before against Arizona. Yeah, I think it's still up there around 6.5, maybe 7, depending on the number betting-wise. I guess, again, I just keep coming back to, like, the Eagles. Most of that game against the Giants just looked really bad. No, that was that was a terrible beat for me on the Giants' money line, but had the – Did you take thing, points so. at least? To yeah, I took that? the points as well. It just never feels as good as getting that outright win, especially oh, no. if you're looking yeah. as good as they were. Yeah, because you, you probably were getting close to 2-1 to one on that Giants' money line. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I think I'll probably get there with the Eagles, especially if this is Danucci, the third-string quarterback. Right. I can't imagine, despite them having so many weapons, you plug in the third-string guy, how much is this dude ultimately practiced and right. how much does he know this offense? Yeah, yeah, no. And, you know, I think, you know, just gambling aside, like, it'll be very interesting. Let's assume that Dallas does not turn anything around. There's no reason to think that. I think in a weird way, as much as I, as an Eagles fan, have been frustrated at times this year, it's the Eagles, and, like, let's give the Washington football team. You have to give them a chance now, right? I mean, they got wins over Dallas and the Eagles, you know, so I think you have to give them a look. But speaking from a Dallas perspective, like, I'm curious to see if Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones can just admit that they screwed up. And Mike McCarthy and this staff, like, it's not working. We've already heard players calling out McCarthy and I do think it might be bigger because at a certain point you can't keep blaming the coach like everybody was blaming Garrett. There's definitely some problems on this roster, too. The offensive line is nowhere near what it used to be, and the defense is an absolute train wreck. But, like, do you, realistically, like, let's say this nothing turns around here and they end up going 5-11 and 11 or whatever. Do you think they do have the, the one-and-done hook here for Mike McCarthy? Would they do it? Personally, I would do it, but it's also not my money. I don't know what kind of contract <laughs> he's working buy out your plan, yeah. Yeah, but it's obviously not working. You saw the other week they're already calling him out. They're not keeping it in-house, and he's very upset about that. And clearly they're sellers, giving up Everson Griffin. I'm wondering more so. Oh, just got released. I saw that. They were saying that if they couldn't trade him today, they're going to release him. So who's going to trade for a guy that's that's ultimately being released? I'm yeah. wondering more, are they going to sell additional pieces? Could we see Gallup or Cooper go? I would say Gallup probably more likely. I mean, I think yeah, Gallup I would get a lot more on the market just because his contract, who wants to pay for – the Cooper contract, and it's right. also going to cost a lot more pieces. I could easily see Gallup go, but also that's a great piece to have with C.D. Lamb in the future. That's tough. Yeah, a lot of problems in Dallas, and I certainly won't complain about that. But as far as this game, yeah, I think it's definitely Eagles or pass when it comes to the side. And, uh, yeah, total, I mean, uh, Eagles offense is starting to get clicking. Maybe, I mean, Gosh, maybe you look at that Dallas team total. I mean, I do wonder where that could come come Sunday as yeah, well. Yeah, I'd be curious because the under looks a little inviting, but but yeah, like you're saying, Philly's getting healthy and they're Outside playing there, better. Maybe, I'm not sure where he's at, but I know he's been getting closer. Yeah, he does seem closer. So if I was to look to the under, it would be Dallas team total under. It's just tough when they, they still have so many weapons. 
Yeah, but you plug in the third string quarterback, what can he really do? For sure. So that is, uh, I think we've talked enough about this garbage Sunday night game between Dallas <laughs> and Philadelphia. Just flex this out for Steelers-Ravens, please. Oh, I know. Well, gosh, if it haven't been done now, I have a hard time thinking it's going to happen. But we can always hope. Let's wrap up with another garbage primetime game this week where we have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, 10.5-point chalk on the highway, heading to MetLife Stadium against the New York Giants. Total of 46 and a half, or 46, excuse me. And obviously that's the Giants team coming off of uh, potentially season-crushing loss. Obviously, not that they were any good going into that Eagles game, but they would have been right in the thick of things in the garbage NFC East, excuse me, had they won the game. Philly comes back and wins 22-21. And now Daniel Jones and company have to face a very dangerous Tampa defense. Uh, Devontae Freeman might not play in this game, so they might be down another running back. Obviously, Barkley just actually, I'm surprised he waited like a month to have his ACL surgery, but he finally took care of that. Ah, gosh, I just talk about team totals. Like This sounds like the Giants offense is in for a long night in front of the nation, and the only hope that the Giants have, and, and I know you've talked a little bit about this before we hopped on about maybe taking the 10.5 because we let's give the Giants' defense credit besides the end of that Philly game. like They they were good most of that game, and we talked about the Giants' defense when we both were on the Giants against the Cowboys getting all those points. Like Their defense has actually played decent, and I don't fully understand it because other than James Bradbury, like, there's not a ton of guys on that Giants defense. That like Jabril Peppers is a nice player, but there's not a ton of guys that I look at and say, I want that guy on my team, but yet they're getting the job done. So, you know, give credit to their coaching staff and on that side of the ball particularly, they've been playing well. So can they keep this, like, low scoring and muck it up enough to cover? I think that's the argument here for the Giants. And, you know, maybe... Patrick Graham, I'm drawing a blank. I had to look up the defensive coordinator. I know he's been doing a good job. Maybe he can find a way to keep Tom Brady and the Bucks offensive bay, no pun intended. And obviously, it doesn't look like Chris Godwin's going to go. Antonio Brown, not yet able to play for the Bucks. So maybe this is something like 20 to 10, you know, 20 to 13 where it's like an ugly game and the Giants win. Maybe that's the argument here for the Giants. Uh, but I don't know if I – if I, I, I don't want to give 10.5 on the road, but um, I don't know that I want the Giants. You going to get there with them? No, absolutely not. I can't do it. I considered it. That's a big number to lay on the road. The Giants' defense has actually been playing pretty well despite their lack of pieces and several injuries. Yeah, I just can't quite get there. I'd be curious to see the Giants team total because this Bucks defense has been really solid. Yeah, it's funny. Like, the Bucks, I feel like, are good for the reasons nobody was talking about. Like, who was hyping this defense? Like, it was, And the run game. Like, everybody on offense kept talking about Brady having the best weapons he's had since – Randy Moss in 2007, and he's just going to waltz right in. And he's played well, but gosh, I mean, they've been running the ball really well, and the defense looks great. 
Yeah, exactly. That's also two things that would lend to the under. Just at 46, I'm seeing that feels a bit low. And with no Godwin, like Mike Evans has been struggling this year. Yeah, I think the ankle injury is really hampering him. He's an explosive player, so it's tough with the ankle injury. So I don't have a whole lot else on this game other than it's a boring Monday night game. I think it could be just maybe one of those type of in-and-out games. You're looking ahead to the next week. You know you're going to beat the Giants, but are you going to beat them by 10-plus? Right. It could be in-and-out and and just – I think if you're that's why playing I'm saying they need to take up the and points. up and cover in a yeah. twenty to thirteen, twenty three, fourteen type game. Exactly. I think the only play here is taking the points. Hold your nose, take the points if you'd like. Yeah, and 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 again, I think uh, I mean, gosh, you're getting forty six. The more I talk about it, maybe I like the under more. I mean, again, if we're thinking that Tampa is going to try and go conservatively offensively and just trust its defense. Then the one thing that makes me concerned, worried about a 46 total, then the under would be like a defensive touchdown or a special teams touchdown. But you can't obviously expect that to happen. So I don't know. Maybe I will end <laughs> exactly. up on. Yeah, I think the under would also speak to the Giants plus 11. I could see this right. being being a lower scoring game. Just right. one of those get in, get out. Throwing out or Giants cover and game goes under. Yeah, exactly. I I could see both those happening. Well, that'll just about do it for us here on Full, full Slate. About 80 minutes there of handicapping and some leans and plays. Uh, if you listened and stuck with us, then you get my plays a few days earlier before I release them on Sunday on Twitter. Again, you can find me and all of my picks on Twitter at Undercover Greg. Alex managing our podcast Twitter at full underscore slate underscore pod. And his personal Twitter is at Alex underscore up seven. Alex, always fun. Let's have a good week eight. Yeah, great to talk to you, Greg. Let's go. Absolutely. Of course, that wraps things up for us here on Full Slate. Thank you to all of our listeners out there. And, of course, thanks to the sponsors as well. And to everybody, please play responsibly. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.